Well, this weekend has been full, and I don't know what your celebrations have been or what your activities have been, um, but Friday night was the Halloween carnival, or carnival, is that what it was called at the school? And my wife and I went, and they had a haunted house there, and they had, um, I'm sorry? They also had two gutters filled with water and a live goldfish, and you had to take a straw and blow bubbles behind the goldfish to get it to swim to the end. And whoever's fish got to the end first won. Oh. And Cheyenne and Morgan got to take some goldfish home. Yeah. But the other thing that's that's interesting about this weekend is it's not just this celebration of dressing up in costumes. And for those of us who are part of the evangelical branch of the Christian faith. We don't really pay attention to the Christian calendar that much. But this weekend on the Christian calendar, it is a very full weekend. Because Friday night was what was known as All Hallows' Eve. You guys called it Halloween. But All Hallows' Eve was the evening before All Hallows' Day. Or All Saints Day. Okay? And All Saints Day is always the Saturday. Well, it's, it's, it's November 1st. It's always November 1st. Then, the Sunday following November 1st, All Saints Day, is All Souls Day on the Christian calendar. And, so, and then on top of that, if you're from a Hispanic-flavored country, whether it's South American or Europe, or even down in Southeast Asia, those countries that are influenced by the Spanish culture, they have what's called uh, El Dia del, Mor- del-, del Morte, I believe is what it's called, the Day of the Dead. And what it is, it's a day where people go and celebrate the lives of their departed by having parties out at the graveyard. Like our Memorial Day, only this is the Day of the Dead, and it's it's done on on this weekend. And so all over the world this weekend, people were doing something about dead people. (laughs) Some kind of focus, some kind of celebration, some kind of emphasis. And as I was preparing my sermon, this is the Christian calendar of All Saints Day and All Souls Day, and I was like, well, Lord, what in the world? How in the world do I bring that into our worship? Because it's not our common practice. The, 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 the All Saints Day is, is an emphasis on people who have, um, who have gone on to be with Jesus, okay? So the All Saints are people who are already dead and already glorified in heaven. All souls are those who are still on the earth. So it's a focus on 
praying for the people that you love and care about, ministering to people on the earth. Um, so All Saints Day is focusing on those who are in heaven, All Souls Day is those who are in the earth, and then the Day of the Dead is just a big party around a grave. <laughs> and I'm not trying to make fun of it or make light of it, but this is, this is what this weekend was about. And, you know, for us, death shouldn't ever be dark or, or demonic or scary or whatever. I mean, when I, when I was down in my office a couple years ago and thought, I literally thought I was having a heart attack, and I tried to call Renee, and I couldn't reach her, and I knew that I couldn't walk there, because if I was having a heart attack, the, the, the strain of walking up the stairs, and I mean, up the ramp and, out, and up the stairs of my house would probably cause me to have a severe heart attack, and I'd die. So I didn't know what to do, so I called 911. And so once you call 911... There is no not calling 911. I mean, you're on. And the ambulance is coming, and there's nothing you can do. Well, it takes 30 to 40 minutes for me to get out here. So I'm on the phone with the 911 operator. Finally, Carolyn Purdy and her son come over here. Renee finally comes down. And so everyone's gathering around me, and I'm feeling really stupid because I'm not dying. But for the period of time before everyone was gathering around me, I truly thought I was. And there was no fear There was no, oh no, I've got stuff that I haven't finished. It was literally, I took out a piece of paper and I started to write a note to Renee. And I said, I want you to know that I love you. And I want to ask you to please tell the girls that I love them. And I'll see you in heaven. And that was about as far as I got on the note. I didn't tell her any passwords to the accounts or anything like that. But but the thing was, in reflecting afterwards, after this event, that was the only time in my life, well, second time in my life, where I was ever really close to death. It was, of the two in my life, it was the most real. But it was the only, only the second time in my life where I was ever close to death. And there was no fear. There was no horror. There was no worry. Why? Because I have a faith that tells me that death is simply a transition from one state of being to another, and it's not the end for me, or any of us. If you, if you were to take, and I, 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 I didn't want to have to, to go through a long list of stuff, and so I just figured it's easier to just read it out of here, this is the manual of the Church of the Nazarene, and this is our statement of belief. And we have what are, what are called the Articles of Faith. There are 16 of them. And Article of Faith number 15 and Article of Faith number 16 talk about death and the afterlife and our, and our future. So Article 15 says, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will come again. That we who are alive at his coming shall not precede them that are asleep in Christ Jesus, but that if we are abiding in him, we shall be caught up with the risen saints to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall ever be with the Lord. So we believe in the second coming of Christ. And then number 16, we believe in the resurrection of the dead. We believe that the bodies, both of the just and of the unjust shall be raised back to life and, re- and united with their spirits. That they that have done good will uh, unto the resurrection of life, that they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. We believe in future judgment, in which every person shall appear before God to be judged according to his or her deeds in this life. 
We believe that glorious and everlasting life is assured to all who savingly believe in and obediently follow Jesus Christ our Lord, and that the finally impenitent shall suffer eternity in hell. Now, those are the statements of belief of the Church of the Nazarene. And when you joined the Church of the Nazarene, if you indeed you are a member of this church, you went through a membership class and you talked about these things at length. And you stood up here before the congregation and said, if you'll allow me to be part of this church, I promise you that I do believe these things and I'll support and defend the ministry of this church. So you have, if you are a member, you have already said these are things that you affirm in your own theology and your own beliefs. So if we indeed believe that Jesus is coming again, if we indeed believe that there will be a time when all of us, both the living and the dead, are resurrected back to life, reunited in our bodies, it's not just a spiritual thing, but reunited with our bodies, stand before a judgment seat and ultimately face a destiny of either heaven or hell, the question for me, if I were to ask you, is what is heaven? I can tell you what hell is. Hell's a place to be avoided. Hell's a place of torment. Hell's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell's a place where there's an eternal fire. Hell's a place where there's eternal separation from God. But what is heaven? See, we believe in it, but we have a real hard time articulating what it is. And I, I wanted to just go through some thoughts with you about what heaven is or is not, show you some scriptures, and then... Hopefully tie a ribbon on this at the end. Not that I'm going to give you the definitive answer, because this has been debated for 2,000 plus years. But let's look at to see what we have in evidence from the Bible, because the Bible, again, is our basis of our faith. First of all, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, and unfortunately, like I said, I'm going to have to take you through a litany of some... some um, Scriptures, and that's the reason I read from the manual, because otherwise we would have done scripture bound, scripture bound, scripture bound, scripture bound all morning long, and I don't want to do that. Um, but Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse two, Paul is talking. He's writing this, written this letter to the Corinthian church, and he says, "I know a man in Christ," and scholars tell us that he was talking about himself. Okay, Paul says, "I know a man in Christ." Parentheses me who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. So what Paul was saying was, I had, 14 years ago, I had an out-of-body experience. Now, did he have an out-of-body experience, or was his body literally translated up into heaven? He doesn't know. He said, God knows. I have no clue. I just know that it happened. But what is a third heaven? Because if this is in the Bible, wouldn't that mean that it's somewhat true? So now there's three heavens? Or more, depending on what your faith background is? Okay. The first heaven is the atmosphere around the earth. The second heaven is the universe. The third heaven is the realm of God. The place where God resides. So when Paul is saying, I went, or I was taken up to the third heaven, 
Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but God knows that. But I know that I went to the third heaven. I was in the presence of God. Okay? He's talking about not necessarily a physical place. But he said maybe his body went, so maybe it is a physical place. I don't know. We're not given that. But it's not on this earth. It's not in the atmosphere of this earth, and it's not out in space. And if, if you remember, if you're old enough to remember, back when the United States and the, United, the Soviet Union were in competition trying to get to the moon first during the decade of the 60s, there was a, a big headline that the Soviets said, so, you got out there, into the heavens, where's your God? Because they were mistakenly thinking that God was in the second heaven. But the Bible tells us that God is outside of the universe. Now, in my finite mind, and this is not Bible, this is Bob, okay? In my finite mind, I picture God made a diorama in a shoebox, and it's sitting on a shelf in his room, in his study, and he, he loves this diorama in the shoebox. And one of the little planets in that solar system, within that galaxy, within that universe, is Earth. And we're on that Earth. But that's how I picture the difference between the third heaven and us. Is we're separated in that way. We can't get to God. God can get to us. But we can't get to God. Now again, that's, that's my way of understanding this idea of a third heaven. Yes, Joyce. I read, in, I think it's Isaiah or somewhere, where it was describing it, and it says it's a big, the universe is a big dome, and God surrounds the dome. Yeah. And I, I mean, we don't know. We're, this is all philosophy. This is all, it's somewhat theology. Because, but theology, you cannot be definitive. Okay, philosophy is what I think, theology is what I believe. And I can't believe anything definitively that's not given to me in the Bible. Okay, I can know that there is a distinct something. That's all I can know. Okay, now let's go back to this idea of heaven on earth. Okay, I mentioned it a little bit when I talked about this third heaven. Heaven on earth. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, heaven's right here on earth? We experience heaven right here on earth. Once you become a Christian, you're, a you're, you're, you're in heaven. You're, you're experiencing the presence of God. Let me read to you from the scriptures what Paul had to say and what Luke had to say and what Peter had to say. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 to 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, die, He's saying that when he says sleep. We shall not all die, we shall, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For, the imperishable, for this perishable body 
must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because there's going to come a point where we will go to heaven. But we cannot do it in this mortal, perishable state of being. There has to be some kind of translation, some kind of change, some kind of, using the word from last week, metamorphosis that takes place. Luke said in chapter 23, verses 39 to 43, one of the criminals, Luke 23, 39 to 43, One of the criminals who were hanging on the cross next to Jesus railed at him saying, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked the first and said, Don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And and we're indeed justly, but we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. This man has done nothing wrong. And then the second criminal turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So where was he going to be taken, the criminal? To heaven. I don't have time this morning to get into the difference between paradise and heaven. There is, that's another Bible study. But he's going to be in the presence of God. Okay? Um, let me just give you a real quick understanding. This is something that is, gets into this whole mishmash. But remember the story of, of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus told? And the rich man gets sent to the place of torment and Lazarus ends up in the bosom of Abraham? That's paradise. Okay? And then eventually paradise will come into heaven when the heaven that we're being brought to exists. We'll get to that in a minute. Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm going to read to you verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness will dwell. And if you go back and read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, it talks about the fact that this earth is going to burn. At one time it was made out of water, it was destroyed by a flood, but now God said he'll never flood the earth, destroy again by flood, but there's going to come a time when the heavens and all of the elements will burn, and a new heaven and a new earth will come to be. And that's what we're waiting for. Okay? So... First of all, heaven is not on this earth. When you die, you go to a place to be with God. And there is coming a time when there will be something different from what we're experiencing now. A new heaven and a new earth. Matthew says, and it's actually Jesus talking, because this is out of his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. 
He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is telling his disciples, You have a reward waiting for you in heaven. So that tells us, we don't know what the reward is yet, but that tells us that there is a hope, that there's a place that they're going to go to, and when they get there, it's going to be good. There's going to be something good there. And then finally, what is this reward that we're talking about? Well, I have four different scriptures. First of all, John 14, verses 1 to 3. John 14, verses 1 to 3. Jesus says to his disciples, Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, there's an old gospel song. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we will never more wander, but walk the streets that are pure as gold. And in that it says, I'm going to get a reward, my mansion, a harp, and a crown. And I can't find anything in the Bible that says that I'm going to get a mansion, a harp, or a crown. And I looked. I really, truly looked. But this idea of the mansion, which you've probably heard many times, is not that you're going to get your own personal house that's up on a hill and it's glorious and you've got 25 million servants and a pool and a pool table. I mean, that's not what this is talking about. And we, we've shared this before in the past. I, I'll give you a short synopsis this morning. In Hebrew culture, in the culture of Jesus' day, family units stayed together even after marriage. And the family had what was called an insula, which was a living space, a central courtyard, storage rooms, private rooms. And when a child got married, he would bring his bride to the father's house, the insula, when he had prepared the room for his bride, which was the addition, the add-on to the insula. So the guy gets engaged. He says to his bride, I'm going to go prepare our place. And when it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you. And the bride anxiously waits, looking at her dowry, getting excited because she's going to get married soon, as soon as my fiancé can get the room in the father's house ready. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to prepare the place for us to be together. What did it say in 2 Peter? There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Jesus has gone on to oversee the construction, if you will, of this new heavens and this new earth. And when it's ready, he's going to come back for his bride. And we will join him in his father's house. So it's not... I'm going to have a mansion up on the hillside with all of these servants. It's I'm going to go to the presence of God. That's this idea of mansion. Now, harp, 
I have no clue. I could not find anything about harps in the Bible, other than that David played one to help Saul not have trouble with his mental illness. I don't think I want to do that for all of eternity. So, I don't know of anything scriptural that talks about a harp. I can't think of anything. It's a cultural thing. But look at this crown thing, because I know Mary in the Midwest heard about, I'm getting jewels in my crown, and I'm going to lay them at the feet of Jesus when I get there. You've heard that before, right? What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? Seriously, and I'm not, I'm not belittling it, I'm not making fun, but that it's a colloquialism that's used in certain parts of the country, because it's in the South as well, I've heard it in Texas, I've heard it in Mississippi, people up in the Northeast don't use it as much, and I've never heard it in any of the church people here, other than older folks who came from other parts of the country. What does it mean? It means if you help bring someone to the Lord, that's the way I've always looked at it. Okay. Okay. There is, I, I don't know if you heard what she said. She said if, if, if she helps lead somebody to Christ, that's a jewel in her crown. If she does good deeds in the name of Jesus and points people to God, that's jewels in her crown. But why do you have a crown? What's the point of getting a crown? To lay at his feet. So help me to, I mean, I'm, I'm not being funny. I'm very serious. Help me to process through this. What, what is the purpose of this? What is the, Huh? Okay, we, we will look at that. Look at that. I'm trying to dismantle, or not dismantle, but to, to take to, to examine this colloquial expression of I'm going to receive a crown, and I have jewels in my crown, and I'm going to lay it at the feet of Jesus. Because this is a very valid, real thought process that happens in the Christian culture throughout the Western world. It's not just the localized thing. It's 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 broad based. What does it mean? It means I'm I'm say I have somebody help somebody come to know the Lord. I've done good deeds. And I'm laying it at Jesus' feet. What can you think that that might be? I'm laying it at Jesus' feet. How about I've done it all for him? I didn't do it for myself to hold on to something of value, but I brought it. And the idea... Okay. Well, I, well yeah, I mean... I, I don't know. But see... The, well, see, there, there's also, there are also some things in the Bible, and, and we don't have time this morning to look at it, but I, I'll point you to it and you can look at it later. Revelation chapter 4 and, verse, and chapter 5 talks about a heavenly throne room where the elders are taking their crowns off and laying them at the, at the, throne of, at the foot of the throne of God. Um, there's also in 1 Corinthians, it talks about building on a foundation which has already been laid. Some build with costly stones, gold, and silver. Others build with hay, wood, and stubble. And it will all pass through a fire, and then their work will be tested, and whatever survives will be a treasure that they can then bring into heaven with them. But that is not talking about all Christians. That's talking about teachers and leaders and preachers, people who are trying to build the kingdom of God, and whether or not their work will, will, will sustain scrutiny. Um, but that has... That, that little phrase has gotten itself into the culture of what it means to have a treasure in heaven and what it means to build a crown and what it means to offer this thing. So you, you can't really use that verse, although that's where a lot of it comes from. So it's the Revelations 4, giving of my crown to, to the throne. First Corinthians talking about, I want to say that it's, it's 6 or 12, but I, I didn't have it in my notes and I almost did and I was like, ah, I don't need it. 
Um, but, uh, but I believe that that's where this colloquial expression has been, has been started. But what does the Bible actually say about crowns? And Beverly said it correctly, that we're supposed to get a crown of life. Um, there were actually three verses in the New Testament that I found that talked about receiving a crown from God in our, as a reward. First of all, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, capital D, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there is a crown of righteousness. Now, well, we'll get to it in the end. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 says, James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So Timothy is told by Paul, there's a crown of righteousness waiting for those on the day. James is saying, those who remain faithful, who are steadfast even under trial, will ultimately receive a crown of life. And then finally, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The unfading crown of glory. And honestly, I don't have an answer for any of this. What does this mean? Crown of righteousness, crown of life, crown of glory? Couldn't tell you. Huh? I think I think that's mainly what it is. Well, the one thing, and, and I I can't tell you that that's what these are talking about. But in Philippians, Paul talks about in chapter three and four, he talks about running so as to win the way, the race, and the one who wins the race receives the victor's crown. Okay. So in other words, this, there's this sense of being successful all the way through to the end and you will then receive a crown of glory. Well, this crown that the victors received in that culture, because remember this is a Greek culture that they were living in, they would receive the laurel wreath of, of, the, of the olive uh, branches that was made in a, like a, like, like think about the Olympics, ancient Greece, Olympics. And that, I think, honestly, that's what I think we're seeing here, is that we're not trying to get some precious gold circular thing we're going to put on our head and take off and give to God when we get to heaven. I think what we're doing is we're seeing remain faithful, remain true all the way to the end, and when you do, you will reach glory. The presence of God. You will be rewarded for your faithfulness. See, we believe, as, as Wesley and Arminians, we believe that just as much as we have the freedom to choose God, we have the freedom to choose not to serve God. And so if sometime during our path we become disillusioned, Hebrews chapter 4, verse now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, talk about apostasy, falling away. 
And so we believe and understand that as Christians, we can choose to walk away from God's grace. And so these statements we're hearing in in these three epistles about this crown of life, this crown of righteousness, and this crown of glory, these are for those who have not turned away from their faith throughout their earthly walk, but who have remained faithful all the way through up until the time of their translation, either through their physical death or their translation into glory as this twinkling of an eye thing being changed. So, what do we have to wrap it up with a little ribbon? We have heaven being the place where God dwells. It is not a physical necessarily place that this body can reside in at least. It may be a physical place where a new body could reside. I don't know. We don't know that. We have none of that information. But what we do know is, wherever it is, it's a place where the Father will be. It's a place where we will have free access to the Father. We will be able to see Him fully in His glory. Second, I mean, First Corinthians talked about uh, chapter chapter thirteen talked about uh, seeing dimly as through a glass or wearing a veil. That that idea is removed once we get into heaven. We are face to face with God, and then we receive righteousness. Life, the end result of our faith, that's what we receive. Now, how does it play out? Quite honestly, if I have to strum a harp and float around on fluffy white clouds for all of eternity, I'm going to be bored to tears. And quite honestly, I don't think I could handle standing around God's throne with 20 million other people singing praises for all of eternity. I know it's wonderful, but we don't do it all the whole hour and a half we're here on Sunday morning, do we? We only do it for part of the time. The rest of the time we do other things, still in God's presence, bringing glory to God. So I think, personally, it's going to be just like living here. That's what I think. It'll be just as beautiful or more so. It'll be just as peaceful or more so. The difference will be there won't be any sickness. There won't be any disease. There won't be any crying. There won't be any horrors. There won't be any torment. And when you play softball or baseball or basketball, it's not that both sides will win, because that's stupid. It's that both sides will play in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And when the other team wins, the other team will go, yeah, great job. Yeah, we're a little bit disappointed that we didn't win, but that's okay. Because, see, that's the Christ-like way of doing things. And I think that's what heaven's going to be. Whatever it plays out, wherever it plays out, it's going to be a place that was originally intended for us, that paradise thing. We will be in unity. That's a good thought. So, having said all of that, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about in this idea of the heavenly realms is angels. And so Thursday evening, if you have time and would like to spend some time talking with us, we're going to talk about what do you believe about angels? And there are scripture references up on the screen for you to uh, look up and hopefully we'll have them on a sheet for you for Thursday night. But it would be helpful if you were to uh, read through them ahead of time so that you didn't uh, just walk in cold on Thursday. Anyway, let's pray and head on home.